0: I'm going to start off this episode by talking a little bit about Twitter. Now, I've been on it ever since, I think, 2009, somewhere around there. So a good 10 years plus. And it dawns on me that as much as I posted on there, as much as I commented, argued, replied, and often enjoyed a lot of the positive things, about it. At the end of the day, it is a social media site. I have good memories, I have bad memories, but things move on. Now that's my personal take. Hi, I'm Mario the Artisan Rogue, and this is Radio 74. This is a podcast where I just cover some things that are on my mind. More for archiving, but sometimes for people to enjoy listening to. Now, I do love Twitter. It always has been one of my favorites because it's a microblogging factor, right? And I know that there's a lot of times that people will do continual posts or, you know, threads that they'll create on there. And those have been wonderful, too. I can't say enough about the good things about it. I've learned things. I've connected with people that aren't on other social media sites. I've had an opportunity to experience news breaking across the world. And I guess that's where I'm going with this. Twitter, for what it is, is very much the closest we have to a citizen's network, a world citizen's network. I'm not going to go and hypothesize on a lot of the things that are going on. There's no point in that right now. And what I mean is just... This is a small podcast that gets to a few people and maybe shared, which is great. But honestly, my thoughts on it are if this goes away, yes, we do lose something there, but there are other facets. There are other outlets. I was actually joking around earlier. Somebody else had posted, Oh my God, am I supposed to pull out ICQ and do that again? I'll be honest. I loved ICQ back in the day. I, I had that on my, I still have the original version of it. One of the earlier versions, I, I mean, on my Windows 95 machine back here. And that was that that to me was the perfect social media because you only had this small group of people that you actually knew in real time, you know, in real life that you'd met. And then you kind of hooked up, you know, like with via messages and things like that. And I don't mean hooked up, hooked up. I mean, like you were able to connect with people should have chose my wording better on that. But the point I'm making is that that was a small social circle that was akin to what everyone makes that joke of. Well, we'll sit around the original social circle, the campfire. Well, ICQ was like that. It It's one of those elements, one of those early applications that I really liked that was indicative of the sudden expanse and growth of the internet. It was really before we were, there was any sort of streaming or any massive things like facebook messaging that what was really around it was coming it was on its way we were still in myspace and friendster and things like that but with twitter going down like it is and especially with all this thing happening with elon musk who you know love him or hate him he is doing some things that are just mind-boggling some people are saying on one side that it's a thought out plan that is being executed to wreck this platform so that that way world elites and rich people can, you know, run unmitigated again with whatever they want to do without worrying about local citizenry saying, hey, this company is taking advantage of us. And in lieu of the fact that there have been some places in China that have had work factories and living areas that have been abandoned by people that work for Apple and things, there's always a lot of that sort of stuff that we never really hear about in the West over here. Now, I don't. Now I understand there's a whole conglomerate aspect about that owned by the media company Clear Channel and all of these different avenues from CBS, to NBC, to CNN. All these things are sort of under one umbrella to an extent. And I always thought that Twitter was the antithesis of that. It was very much something that although it was in and of itself a corporate conglomerate that held a massive sway in trends, hashtagging, all of this other sort of things. It still ha- felt like there was a bit of freedom there that may be lost eventually. Now, I don't believe for a second that Twitter is going to suddenly disappear overnight. That's not going to happen. The system was robust and well-built enough that we may end up seeing the reappearance of the fail whale, and Twitter may go down occasionally again until it finally completely breaks, depending on what's happening now. seems like there's been a mass exodus of employees that left. There's certainly been a lot of posts for that. If it turns out this has all been a falsehood, it's an amazing marketing campaign. It is an amazing thing to make people believe, hey, you know, Elon Musk is an idiot. I personally do believe he's an idiot, but that's my own thing. I do think that it's a mixture. I think he got in over his head. I think Twitter is going to last for a little while, maybe through the end of the year, maybe into the beginning of next year. And then who knows what's going to happen from there. But every single time I believe anyone's ever tried to really predict the future of this sort of thing. it it really doesn't pan out like how we think it's going to go. Moving onward into more personal things for myself, I have been working on my graphic novel for The World of Ardor, Ardor Volume 1, and I'm a few pages into that. Actually, if you've been going to any shows, you may have picked up or seen Issues 0 and Issue 1. Issue 0 has been around for a few years. It was the original, initial concepts of whether or not I, when I put it together, I really thought whether or not this is going to work or not, you know, the ideas behind it. And I started to put together something that wasn't quite a completely developed idea. And I just wanted to get it out there and see if people even liked it. The, it was really, really well received. And people that did pick it up would often message me back and say, Hey, this is this is pretty good. What do you got next? So then issue one came out. And the only re- reason that issue one came out was that I had really wanted something new to bring to shows this year. My original intent had been to specifically stay with just an issue zero, keep it separate, and then do a volume one. Volume one was, is currently about 80 to 120 pages, depending on how I end up rewriting some stuff or if I move some things around. The work is still very much in flux but it was one that I had not really planned on releasing an issue one. And I have now, and thankfully that's even gotten better feedback. So I'm really looking forward to getting this out. The debut issue should be at NakaCon. I've talked about this before, and I think I've made some, some comments about it on other social media sites, including Twitter. And so I'm really excited about that. That's something that I've been working on quite a bit. I've got some other things. Of course, I've always got freelance and some and a commission or two going on right now. But this is something that like almost daily, if you follow me on TikTok, you've been seeing me posting up videos of working on the pages. I am to the point though where I'm like, okay, there's some pages I don't want to start revealing because it starts becoming indicative of what the storylines are. And I definitely want to hold some stuff closer, you know, guard my hand a little bit more on that. This brings about a whole nother subject about daylight savings time. Now it's the fall. So of course we fell back and gained an hour. I don't mind the darker weather, you know, when it gets to being, when the sun goes down earlier and when the sun comes up later, I don't mind that. Um, it has never really bugged me. I've always favored that when I was a lot younger, that was something that I really liked. It always got me in the mood for sort of the, the triplicate of the holiday season. But as I've gotten older, that's something that definitely has affected me. Like I'm staying up much later and I'm feeling more like, well, I I would have appreciated some more daylight. (laughs) Just so that way I I didn't feel so behind on things. And for the first time, these last two or three years, and especially this year, have been harder. Like the two COVID years were one thing. But this year especially, now that things have seemed to have started to get back on track to some degree, it's been harder for me to adapt something like this. And it's really weird because by the time I get used to this switch up on daylight savings time, by the time it's time to spring forward, I will be once again messed up. And I'm trying to figure out ways to get around that. So if anyone has any input on that, I'm all ears. I've been watching podcast or listening to podcasts, watching videos about it. Everyone's an expert when it comes to this sort of stuff, you know, like, Oh, how do you handle these, you know, daylight savings time blues. And I've yet to find any really good answer for that. So speaking of that and in tandem along with the art of horse volume one that I've been doing, I added two more shows before the end of the year. One is still in flux. I've got to pay for the table. That one is going to be in Harrison It's a small show that is going to be benefiting a young man who has cancer. I believe I've, I remember reading some of the description on there. I'll have more information about that, and certainly a blog will be coming up for that one. And then the other show is one that I did earlier in the year, and I simply attended it. But it was Casey Retro, and it was a very video game collectible sort of focused show. There were some when I say collectibles, there were action figures, a few other oddball items, but the vast majority were video games. So I went ahead and decided I'm going to go out this year. This one is going to be held on December 17th at the Stony Creek uh, Hotel, which is a great, great place. I love it. There's been quite a few shows held there. This was one that when I attended it, it was a blast. I found so many great classic retro games. There was a lot of stuff there that was priced really well. One of the things I've noticed as I've gone to shows from the really big ones like C2E2 and Planet to some of the more medium-sized ones like Nakacon and a few others here and there is that the vintage collecting thing is big. In fact, I was speaking to a buddy of mine. I had gone to his store just today and had picked up uh, an actual, an action figure in a video game from him. And uh, I'm purposely leaving out his name because he prefers to say anonymous, but he's got a great store, and he's been in this business for a long time. I believe his father ran another business that also specialized in it, and so he he's been he was born into this sort of thing. And it's something that we were talking about was how it is wild, and here's why I'm saying this: I had been looking to complete my GameCube, and it's sitting over here. It's actually the setup in my studio is my GameCube is sitting over here on top of my computer next to the fan ports and it's in a great area and it's, it's got my wireless wave bird connected to it. It's plugged in. It's got a, you know, it's, it's got the, the game boy, uh, advanced player area on the bottom. It, the only part it's missing is the land connector. And I just wanted it just for completion. I don't even know if they're color coordinated or not. I, I think they might be, or they might be all black. I don't remember that, but I remember talking to him about it. And I remembered a point in time when those parts and pieces were like $15. And I told him about it. He was like, Oh my God, you know, it's crazy. The prices have gone up so much. And I was like, yeah, I've seen them priced pretty high. And he said, yeah, he's like, well, the last one that I did sell, I sold for about $150. And this is something that I've often wondered about is the sustainability of the newfound aspect of what makes something vintage or, I don't even know if there's another word for it. Vintage just seems like a catch-all, right? And you, you can go to anything from your local thrift store to your pawn stores to, to a, these collector expos and conventions. And you can find things that are like, it's vintage. Well, yeah, just because it was made in the 80s, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess by the very virtue that it was made in the 80s, you could call it vintage, but I collect a lot of things. I mean, from musical stuff to records, some, I you know, I in fact, I just picked up a fossil today. I mean, that's far more vintage than a 50-million-year-old fossil. But the thing is, is that whenever I'm picking up this stuff, There is a certain dollar amount that I, you know, I can readily use or stick with or, you know, work within because to me, there's a value point on it. And once it grows past that, I, it's out of my price range. There are things I'll invest in, you know, that I have no problem with. There's certain art supplies, certain things. This computer I'm actually recording this podcast on was hand built by my buddy, Matt at B squared computers. And i bought the best components I could at that time, the best processor, best everything I could to make this thing work and be the dream machine I always wanted it to be. And it was within the budget I had. Now that was an investment for me. You know, that was something that was more than what most action figures and things I would ever feel comfortable spending that kind of money on. But when I go to these shows, I've been going to them long enough over the span of almost 15 years now that I've seen the steady rise in this. And we were talking about how influencers well hell even me remarking on the cost of this LAN adapter. If the right person hears it, well, that's one more person or two more people, or then they tell some friends and it goes on and on from there. This is a really weird subject. In fact, I had a moment right now of deja vu. Sorry about that. It was just kind of a random thought right there, but uh, I swear I've talked about this before. (laughs) Um, maybe I have. And so the whole thing was that as I thought more and more about that, I was like, wow, you know, like how much, how much is really hype, you know, because, and and here's the reason why I remember I made a video on TikTok a while back and I had showcased some of the games I had on my collection. These are games I'd played. I'd purchased them originally. These were not eBay things. I've had them forever. And I'm talking about like, Sega Saturn games like Panzer Dragoon and stuff like that. And a lot of the really rare role-playing games that are on that system. I was contacted by a fellow who was like, Hey, you know, I'm willing to pay for those. If you're willing to part, I was like, well, no, these are, these are my childhood games. And I don't think he believed me, but he said, you know, um, I'm needing to, to finish my YouTube wall. I was like, Oh, okay. You know? And I thought to myself, I'm like, you know, no one's really going to know. I mean, you, you could, print out a facsimile and put it in a, a used jewel case from a sega cd or saturn you know game that it you know you could find somewhere and it would probably look fine but i get that maybe that's something where they want to see, be able to say they have it pull it out use it for you know photography or maybe a, a prop or something i don't know but i was i'm always shocked to see what these old games are are cashing in at and the latest thing we've been talking about was the whole thing of grading games like going in and saying you know i'm i've got this sealed copy of super mario brothers and it's factory wrapped and everything and they go and they get it graded like a comic book now to a certain degree i can understand where comics get graded and i understand that but and you know baseball cards have been like that for a long time as well too but it goes to show that any collectible can have that sort of thing happen. Action figures, certainly I see that. Video games I always wondered about because it's a type of media that you would physically play. But the argument could be made, well, a toy is a toy and a record is a record and a Pokemon card is a Pokemon card. But it was brought up, you know, there's a there's a Magic the Gathering card called the Black Lotus. It is a zero casting, I think, tap for, I think, three mana of any color extremely overpowered. And I think you can play it as an instant. I'm kind of dating myself, talking about Magic the Gathering, but it's it's an artifact. So I think you can play it at any point in time. There is no summoning cost. So I think it's a zero summoning cost, three tap for three mana of any color. I've never owned one. I have been in the presence of many of them. I have seen one accidentally get destroyed when it was caught in a box and folded over. And I think that man's spirit left his body when that happened. But, you know, at that point in time, it was early in the uh, lifespan of Magic the Gathering. And so cards were wild. They were crazy. Those were some of my favorite years. I played Magic the Gathering from beta release until about Ice Age or Legend. Somewhere in that zone, I started kind of petering out, and I still have all of my cards. I played primarily black and green, and I loved it. And one of the things I remember was that, you know, card prices started going up back then, but it was, you know, an expensive card back then would have been maybe... If it wasn't a Black Lotus, it would have been like maybe 20, 25 bucks, something like that, especially when legends came out and you have these multicolored legends that were super powered beings. A lot of them were worthless in gameplay or hard as hell to get out, but they were still incredibly formidable cards and rare. Things like the Black Lotus immediately began cycling around the $50 range. And then like months later, we're in the couple of hundred dollar range. Now they're thousands of dollars. And it's been interesting watching the growth of that and that acceleration in vintage things. There's a YouTube channel I watch called Retroblasting that has often talked about the viability of vintage, and I get that. Everything that we collect in certain circles, whether you're an action figure guy, comic book, whatever, these things were not meant to last the ages. We're not talking about stone tablets. We're not talking about frescoes painted on, a temple wall, hidden away from the sun. We're talking about things that were used, played with, stored, sun damaged, heat damaged, possibly run over by a stroller, or whatever. I have items like that in my collection that survived from my childhood. I've bought others over the years that I'm like, oh, hey, here's a nice used action figure or thing, and I like it, and I'm going to take it home, and maybe it's got the kid's name scrawled on it, or it's got some scuffs or whatever, but it's it's mine, or I got it for a deal. But even those things, I've seen now going to shows that, you know, this isn't anything against the vendors. I don't mean this in a bad way. But if I go to a show, I know that I couldn't be a vendor because I would want my stuff cleaned up. I'd want it fairly pristine to be able to sell to somebody and justify the price on why I'm selling it that way. And here's the thing. I went to a ton of shows this year. Just looking back through the photos I would take consistently of a lot of these vendor booths selling everything from, you know, classic video games to action figures to whatever. There's a lot of stuff out there. Between them and Etsy and eBay and every other sort of place you could buy it, vintage stocks, independent toy stores, personal collections going up at estate sales there is far more of this stuff manufactured out there. And I can give you some numbers that kind of back this up as to why I think some of these prices are ridiculous. There was, if you follow it on Netflix, there is a show called The Toys That Made Us. And one of the people that have worked at Hasbro talked about, I think they made 128,000 Cobra Commander three and three quarter action figures. Now, for those of you that don't understand what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the real American hero line that was really popular in the eighties. And Chances are you probably run across, if not own some of these. I am actually sitting next to 30 of my childhood ones in a case right next to me. They were near and dear, and they are a favorite toy. They break the rubber bands in them, bust in the center, call the O-rings, all these things. Now, if 128,000 Cobra Commanders were made of this initial run, you know that more were made of other ones. And as the line got bigger, more and more were made. They could practically print money. A lot of toy companies could back then. But these very self-same toys that at one point in time may have been not much more than a couple bucks are now $35 items. There There's entire industries based around repair, rejuvenation, reproduction, which is a a whole other thing that people get really upset about, to complete these things. And I've bought some secondhand to fill out holes in my collection of personal ones I really like. In fact, there's quite a few things I'm trying to get a hold of. And for me, I always look for the deal. I'm like, my memories are great about these things, but these are things I never owned. I'd like to try and get them, but I'm not going to break the bank trying to get them either. So that's been something that has been Definitely on my radar with where I'm heading as far as collecting or what I want to do. And it affects what I end up putting out as well, too, as an artist. Like, you know, how much money do people really have? Whereas their habitual aspect for spending heading, it's an open thing. And at some point in time, I'd really like to get people that are into these different things on here so that we can have some discussions about how this has been affecting them, both as a collector or as a casual or, you know, do they even care? You know, or where they think this is heading, which I think would be a fascinating thing to go into. All right, okay. So that's there's that's a whole diatribe I didn't even plan on going down. The next thing I want to talk about is this creative drive lull, and I've got a little sheaf of notes here in front of me, so I'm just kind of reading off of this. So the creative drive, drive lull, it's <laughs> it's the thing where as as prolific as I seem to be. On social media, I'm going to take a drink of water real quick. As prolific as I seem to be on, on these different social media platforms or just any of this stuff, it's really interesting to me because when I talk to people, like, oh my God, you do so much. I, I, I don't ever feel like I do enough, but it's not even about the work-life balance. It's, um, this is something where when I'm trying to draw and do things, it can become really difficult trying to stay focused because, you know, real life can come in the way of things and Whether it's family sort of circumstances or maybe just worrying about finances or like, oh, God, I added two more shows to the docket. I had already said I was done because this last show that I did, Air Cap, was supposed to be the it was supposed to literally cap the end of the year for me. And I was going to be okay. Well, it through no fault of the show, it did not get the attendance or the traffic that it was supposed to get. And it, it truly did not. The city really kind of failed them. These other two events that happened right outside of the venue, it was not great. But I didn't take it personally, and I'll certainly be back to do that show again as many times as I can. What I'm talking about is just trying to stay motivated at a point whenever, you know, if you're a working freelancer, or even if you've got a full-time job, when things seem like either hopeless or drawn out or tiresome, how do you keep going? And this has been an endless subject in a lot of the different podcast episodes I've done. I have yet to find an answer about it. I try, there's this thing that that I've spoken to my therapist about often, it's self-masking. And really, a lot of people, whenever you're depressed or you're feeling down, you'll mask, which means you'll go out, you hang around people, and you'll put on an act if not an act, you'll certainly put forward your best foot. I know I've quoted Robin Williams on this before, where he talked about how he always tried his best to make people laugh because, and I'm paraphrasing here, because he didn't want people to feel like he did when he was depressed and had darker moments in his life. And I feel similar. If I'm carrying a lot of baggage, I don't really want to put that on anyone. And unfortunately, that's not always possible. It can become something that is so overwhelming that you just it, it gets to you and then it affects your work output, but it also ends up invading your life in this circumstance. And in fact, talking about the art or book, I've been working on a sequence between two sisters and this is no secret. I'm fairly open about most things, but I can say that whenever I have problems in my own family, that that was enough to affect me when I'm trying to, you know, imbue a storyline play it out with characters that are feeling circumstantially very different than I currently feel. Well, how does one do that? And it's almost a study in method acting where I have to really take myself out of that. I have to listen to upbeat music. I have to maybe do some things that I enjoy. In fact, right here at my desk, and I've talked about this before in some videos. In fact, I'm going to do a whole other series on this on my YouTube channel. There's a bunch of little doodads and things in fact you know never mind my my gamecube sitting over here ready to play games at my whim which is wonderful i have a bunch of handheld games in here like little fidget spinners and dice i can roll all of these things i've got uh memory games you know just stuff that i love buying i love things like that i love it i love it i love it those things allow me to kind of give myself like a five minute break to kind of reset my head and go back into it they don't always work, though, as much as I'd like them to. Sometimes it can just be really overwhelming and that can knock you down. So that's going to be another thing that I think some of the thematic stuff I'm going to be heading into toward the end of the year, or right before the end of the year. Because that's the other thing, too, is looking back upon the year and kind of seeing where where you've been, you know, what I've been doing. That sort of, I'm going to turn this back around to myself so I don't feel like I'm doing, like, a therapy session for you guys because I'm not a therapist. So... On that note, thinking about next year, I don't know that I'm going to do as many shows as I did this year. It was an overwhelming amount. I just kept throwing myself back out there. Some of it was because a good chunk of the shows did not go as I thought they were going to go, especially the ones that I invested a lot of money in. Oh, man. I I definitely wrecked some of those. And then there were other shows that for one thing or another just did not pan out as well as I thought they were going to. And those sort of financial hits can be really hard, especially since this is the year that I've really gone completely full freelance, full professional, hey, I'm going to be drawing a comic, I'm going to be doing this stuff, and I have no, there's no office I walk into. There's no healthcare for me. There's none of that. This is completely on my own, trying the best I can. And that is a daunting factor to deal with, trying to grow the business and do that sort of thing. And I understand. You know, this is a choice that I made and I'm fine with that, but it doesn't mean that I don't have some doubts or some fears about it. It just means it is what it is. And I'm trying to find the easiest way to cope with it, which in and of itself can be a huge challenge. Anyway, those were the things that were on my mind. So to kind of recap, Not sure what's happening with Twitter. I am working on my Art Ore Volume 1, and I'm hoping you guys are really going to enjoy it. There will be more and more updates of those. You can follow me on both Instagram and on TikTok, and of course still on Twitter while it's up. And you can see the different shots that I'm taking of the artwork I'm working on there. There will be some other stuff coming up on there as well, too, since I don't want to give too much of the story away. And then, what else? We talked about the whole Daylight Savings Time thing. That is still something that... I've got to find a way to work with that because for the rest of my life, it's going to be a reality unless they just totally can the concept, which I don't think is going to happen. And then the whole thing about adding two or more shows, I am excited in one regard. Really? I get a chance to go and hang around just like-minded people, other artists, other vendors. I might get a chance to pick up some other grail items that I've been looking for. Some things that are really exciting. I have found some wonderful things. In fact, and I'll tell you guys this real quick. If you're into toy or video game collecting, I have picked up a few items that were very, very cool. One of them was actually, I found this at a thrift store today. This was the Super Scope 6 from the Super Nintendo. It's one of the shooting games, if not the shooting game. That I believe it wasn't the Menacer. I don't remember the the light cannon gun thing that they used. And then I also ended up finding a Jen Erso figure. She was the main character in Rogue One. Which, by the way, oh my god, Ardor, have I been loving that show. I love Rogue One. And I am very much one of those people that I did not really enjoy episodes, um, what, 7, 8, and 9? I tried, but it just didn't work for me. But Rogue One, the Battle of Scarif, all that sort of thing, amazing. It felt like it was an extension, and rightfully so. It, it seamlessly, for the most part, fit in. And led right into A New Hope. And I was really happy for that. And Ardor has turned out to be a wonderful experience so far. I'm just a couple of episodes in. And I've really, really been enjoying it. It's just been wonderful. And it's one of those that I can definitely tell from a cinematographic and from a writing standpoint. How different things have gotten and how they are with this series compared to even Boba Fett or Kenobi or any of these other ones. And I don't mean to slam on those. It was just that I was expecting a certain thing, almost like taking a movie aspect and really expanding it out much bigger. And we, fi- I think we finally got that. So, I, I'm i not a naysayer on a lot of this stuff. It's just if there's certain things I don't like, I just don't like them and I don't watch them, but I don't really have time to talk bad about them. And then with the creative drive lull... I don't know how that's going to go, but I'm going to keep going because I still have these two shows and I've got a bunch of artwork I've got to get done. The deadline is really NakaCon next year for Volume 1, and I plan on making this book something really special. I do have some commissions too that I've just absolutely got to get knocked out, some for Christmas and things, and it can be a little overwhelming. Unfortunately, it's pushed back me going live on Twitch and dedicating myself to creating other new artworks that I really desperately needed to get done. But who knows? Maybe I can have an upswing there and get some more things finished up. And as far as thinking of next year, I am still very much with the intent that I'm hoping to be able to get together with other people that are willing to come onto the podcast and just talk about random things. I'll have a Basically, a lineup of subjects like this, and then we'll kind of cover them and go over them. Maybe it'll be multi-episodic. I'm not really sure how it's going to go. I love that this has been sort of an experimental archive for myself. Some of my early episodes are super cringe. They're just really hard to listen to, and they're really weird and oddball. But at the exact same time, this has been an open book concept project for myself to be able to listen to, go back to, and enjoy And ultimately, all of this is playing into, and I can finally talk about this because this is another book that I'm working on. I had actually started a whole other account called 80s Days Gone By. And it's a little like side branding that I'd been doing separate from the Artisan Road. It was to focus on my years growing up, how pop culture had influenced me, and more so just the things I went through in life. From Boy Scouts to my favorite memories in grade school to being raised by corporate-mediated 80s pop culture aspects, but also other avenues in there and how they all kind of interpolate. I've been spending hours going through old family photos and pictures trying to find, like, things from Christmas or birthdays or, like, I used to take photography of my toys, of my room. This has been, like, just crazy getting into that. But one of the hopes I have is to publish a small series of microbooks that are just kind of dealing with the decade that I went through through the 80s starting kind of in the early 70s and into the 90s just an overall reach of that and most of it is sort of from a therapy standpoint if it works it'll be great if it doesn't it's going to be even more cringe and more embarrassing but I really this is something I want to do Thanks for listening, guys. I am Mori the Artisan Rogan. This is Radio 74. For now, you can find me on every single type of social media out there, including ICQ. I'm not even joking about that one. That's, that You really could sign up and find me on there as the Artisan Rogue. But, for now, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And there is new content coming for YouTube. I've been working on some other long format videos, and finally getting back into some of the older videos I had that I just never got a chance to publish. I've been able to re-edit and re-put together someone you know somewhat of a better feel for these things and then the plan is to release them in January so with that I'm going to let you go hope you enjoyed this podcast and I will catch you in the next episode